You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. We are kicking off season three of Twibbly, and we actually have a new co-host this time around. Uh, old friend of mine. We went to high school together. <laughs> we went to high school together. Uh, this is Jeff McLarge Huge. Yo, yeah, hey everybody. That's Jeff. It's really cool to be here on Twibbly. Yeah. Um, our good friend Jezebel had some, we had some scheduling, uh, issues and, um, you can find her on her YouTube channel. Just simply search for Jezebel Grace. And don't forget if, if you feel like, uh, you long for the back catalog of Twibbly, you can always remember that this podcast was way better last season <laughs> and you can check those out wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, from. I was, uh. <laughs> I was thinking about that because 2020 has been just such such an adventure. I was thinking, it's like, God, what are we going to call the show next year? <laughs> right. Anything's better than this yeah. year or nowhere to go but up. Yeah, 2021. This week was way better than last year with like a little asterisk at the end of it. The giant cockroaches have taken over the cities. <laughs> it's 2021. Welcome. Yep. So what's going on? What are you doing? Tell, tell our expansive listening audience what we're dealing with here. Who are you? What's going on? Greetings, world. Uh, my name is Jeff. As Bill said, I, I've been friends with Bill since I was 14 or 15 years old. And uh, we have the rare relationship where in the entirety of our lives as friends, we've never had an argument that's given bad feelings between the two of us, which is good. Well, that's that one time, sure, though. Sure. This is a kind of funny story. I was going to go stay at your house uh, up in New Hampshire. Uh, when I got to your house, you weren't home. And then yes. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, your, your mother-in-law, like, pulls up and, like, Jeff's in the hospital. He had a heart attack. Yeah. Yes, I'd like to apologize for that, but it really wasn't anything that I could have done to prevent it except not be a complete moron at the gym. So, yes, uh, minus, minus my visit to the afterlife, my second visit to the afterlife. Uh, we've never had an yeah. argument, so. So yeah, then I the next time I went over there, I went to your house and I like I yelled at you. I called you some names, you but let's face it, you had it coming. It's all my fault. Don't ever do that again. I'll 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 do my best. <laughs> I'll do my best to not die. So we'll see how we go from yeah. there. Um, so a little bit about me. Uh, I'm a writer. I'm a general storyteller. I like to give speeches and do public speaking as a hobby. So I I've got all kinds of of fun. Jokes, toasts, and stories to share. Cool. That's the uh, the Toastmasters Club you belong to, right? Indeed, I am a member of the Pleasant Street Toastmasters. That's uh, so. That's cool. It sounds like something you do when you turn seventy, but whatever. My title <laughs> is Lord Waffles. Lord Waffles. It's not. It's not. It's not Lord oh, Waffles. Yeah. That's just making that up. <laughs> That'd be a pretty great title, though. Viceroy English <laughs> Muffin. I out, out you know something outside of the, the Pope of Pop Tarts. No, sorry. Outside of the uh, the Phantom Menace, I'm not even sure what a Viceroy is. 
Yes. I kind of thought that was the guy's name because, like, Newt Gunray and stuff like that. And well, with, I mean, yeah, it's it, Lucas is funny in that he got better with his names after the first Star Wars because he had to name all the characters that became, like, action figures after 1977, uh-huh. which is why you ended up with, like, Hammerhead and Walrus Face <laughs> and some of the other guys that, that actually ended up with no names, and that's what their, that's what their uh, action figure yeah. names were. Snaggletooth, yeah. <laughs> well, I think Walrus Man was, was the other one. Yeah, the walrus man is that. Yeah, he, yeah, the guy who got his hand cut off because his friend was like, "I'm wanted in four systems." He's <laughs> yeah. like, "Yeah, I don't care, buddy. I'm just trying to drink my blue milk." Yummy yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. so let's um, let's get this going. Let's have a podcast. This Woo-hoo. is yeah. This is going to be the week beginning July the 27th, and I will start. So July the 27th, 1999, Tony Hawk lands the 900 for the first time. Uh, I don't know what that is. What's a 900? 900 degree spin. 900 degree spin. Yeah, so figure 360 degrees is one spin. One spin. Yes, that'd be two, two and a half spins. That seems way less impressive in my mind. Am I missing something? Are you fucking nuts? (laughs) No, I've said, I mean. Two and a half spins, Jeff. Two and a half spins. I don't know what that means. Like rocks up the uh, the half pipe, and yeah. while he's in the air, he right. spins the board around two Three and a half times. times. Oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's all right. Not, that's, that is it. impressive. Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and he lands back on the board and doesn't just fall to his death, right? Y- yeah. I mean, myself. Okay. I've never been on a half pipe, but in my imagination, I broke my leg already. I guess that's more impressive than I. I just didn't know what it meant. Oh, okay. I don't know. What, I don't know which way the spin orients. You know what I mean? <laughs> So yeah, Tony Hawk. I, I I'm pretty sure I told this story on the podcast before, but you weren't around, so I'll I'll tell it to you. It's one of my favorite celebrity interactions. I was at the North Dartmouth Mall, and this is way before his video games came out. He was a pro skater. You know, he was it was Nishi. He was only known in the community. Yesteryear Cycle uh, Bicycle Shop uh, uh, in in New Bedford. They used to do uh, exhibitions of skateboarding all the time, and all the pros, you know, well known pro skaters from that time would be there. Tony Hawk would be there. I think that guy Gator used to show up and all that. Uh, at one point, I'm in the Dartmouth Mall, like I was always, and I was playing air hockey with my friends, like I did always, and then these two dudes come walking in, and they kind of like put their quarters up like you did in the day, and they're like, hey, can we get winner? It's like, yeah, whatever. I won. So one of these two dudes plays me at air hockey and takes me to bitch school. I, I like never lost at air hockey. Not only did I lose, I lost handily to this guy so so he, he did the equivalent of landed a 900 on you. he landed a 900 on my ass right and then did they after he got done humiliating me he's like all right guys we'll see you later and he like walks away and then my friend looks at me he goes wow dude tony hawk just kicked your ass and i was like what he goes yeah that was tony hawk i go tony hawk the the skateboard dude they go yeah that was tony hawk i'm like oh no kidding so yeah that's uh one of my claims to fame i got killed at air ass. hockey by air, uh, tony hawk that's so funny yep. wow yeah. not like that other time that i played neil patrick harris at foosball and killed him <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all, right. all right so what do you got for the 28th uh i've got 1900 uh, america's favorite sandwich the hamburger is invented by lewis lassing in connecticut leading to a 
pretty much worldwide love of hamburgers. And funny, I, I watched a video of a guy uh, this week explaining how the Korean, the South Korean army rewards their recruits on the on Friday meal day by giving them hamburgers as part of their training meal. And he went through the process of making a Korean army hamburger in this video. It was really neat. And how does this differ from an American hamburger? Glad you asked, <laughs> Mr. Bill. Uh, so, one, they're not very good, as he describes them. <laughs> uh, two, they're like a mix of like fast food type burgers. So he was he describes it as like it's, you get sort of st- standard Korean food every day except Friday where you get hamburgers. And it's two bagogi beef patties, two buns, strawberry jam, coleslaw, and it comes with like a creamed soup. And is the Korean no. army all pregnant? Is that what's going on? I, yeah, I'm not sure. But uh, the way that he said that they ate it in the army was you put both patties on one of the buns. You put a little bit of strawberry jam and the coleslaw on it and you eat the hamburger. With the other bun, you pour the milk over it, put the rest of the strawberry jam on top of it and eat like dessert. It was really neat to, to sort of watch and see the way the sort of cultural adaptation was in, in Asia for this thing that was invented in 1900. In Connecticut. Next time I go to Five Guys, I'm going to see if I can get some stra- some strawberry jam on it. <laughs> so what do you want on Go that? Patties. Jalapenos, <laughs> barbecue sauce, extra onions, and do you have strawberry jam? Coleslaw and, and strawberry coleslaw. jam. And a bucket to throw up in. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So that brings us to the 29th, Bill. What have you got? Uh, the 29th, I have the first episode of The Tonight Show airs in 1957. And the host's name was Jack Parr at the time. I remember it like it was yesterday. It, it's funny. like That show's still on, and I still don't watch it. Yep. I didn't watch it when Johnny Carson was on because it was always like a an old person's nighttime show you know and that was like that was when tv used to turn off like carson would end for a while at tv was over and then they added david letterman Mm -hmm. and then after david letterman tv was over and then they added infomercials and then after the infomercials it was morning yeah but like i never watched the tonight show because i never thought it was i it was i was always out of the right demographic for it for some reason Uh like my parents loved it and then when it got to the point where i would like it i didn't like jay leno so i didn't watch it and then i don't watch it now 1957. Yeah. I I think with the Tonight Show, I, I I watched. I watched when Johnny Carson was on, mostly because it came on before Letterman, and I really like David Letterman. And Johnny Carson, I think for me, it's almost like a legacy thing where I was told he was great, so I watched it, and therefore he was great, you know? And I've told this story before on the podcast too, but it also bears repeating. Johnny Carson is one of my heroes in this sense because Johnny Carson was also a magician and he had on like a psychic dude or a guy that claimed to be psychic Yuri Geller. <laughs> yeah, I named a I named a character one of my stories after kind of after his shtick. Yeah. Carson just took him to bitch school right in front of a national audience uh, like Gary Geller could not do any of his uh couldn't couldn't bend the spoons couldn't bend the spoons yeah. couldn't guess the uh which container had the water in it or any of that stuff because he relied so much on his own gimmicks right. Carson just ba- you know just baffled him and he's like oh I'm not feeling very strong today it's like um or you're full of shit that could be it too. Right, that's right. that's one of the options. Yep. Tonight show. Whenever Jimmy Fallon was given the keys to the house over there, I was like, really? Because I wasn't really a huge fan of his on Saturday Night Live. Although that that guy does. I'll give him this. That guy does flawless, immaculate impersonations. Yeah, his uh, bring to bring Neil Young back into the conversation. Like what? Because why yeah. not? He does that the two Neil Young thing. Have you ever seen that sketch that he um, does? No. 
So he's he's playing like he's on a stool. He's in a fringe jacket and a like a big cowboy hat, and you can only see the bottom half of his like bottom lip and chin. <laughs> and he's playing guitar, and he's got a harmonica on, and he's playing "Old Man." Old man, look at my life. I'm a lot like you were. And then then there's a, they light up another stool. Another guy gets up there, and that's Neil Young. And it was it's Jimmy Fallon playing Neil Young. And then Neil Young comes out in the same clothes and just picks up the song with him. And they do it together. It's amazing. Oh, that's cool. like when Sean Belushi and Joe Cocker uh, did the side by side on Saturday Night Live as well. Right. Wow, I I never seen that one with uh, Jimmy Fallon. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, but like I said, I wasn't a huge Jimmy Fallon fan on Saturday Night Live. I just like he was always laughing at his own stuff so much. And uh, whenever they gave him the keys, I was like, oh no. But no, I, I he's he's done a great job over there. He must have. He's got his own Universal Studios ride. I didn't see John. I didn't I see know. Johnny Carson do it's, that. <laughs> and I've been on that ride. It wasn't oh. that good. Um, no, it's it's the best part of that ride was the the studio setup that you have to go through to yep. get to it. I don't know if the audience has ever been to like Universal Studios. And I'm sure some of them have. And they they sort of really put time and money into the waiting areas to get onto the attraction itself. And in that one, it's like you're in the lobby of Thirty Rock at, in New York City. Everybody's dressed like they work at NBC. It's it it's like got museum pictures up, just like in the lobby of that building. It was amazing. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the thirtieth. All right. Nineteen thirty-five. This is a this is one after my own heart. Um, Penguin Books releases its very first publication, and that is exciting because it was the first time that they that anyone had ever released a paperback book, a non-hardback book, making publishing less expensive, books more accessible. It opened up markets for other writers and for anthologies and other things because the cost of entry was much much lower. The fact that you can still buy and manufacture paperback books today is because Penguin risked it back in 1935. It's amazing. It doesn't seem like a big thing, but it's a humongous thing for someone like me who's a writer and publisher. So There's so many things that that we just take for granted because they've been around our whole lives. They haven't been around all that long in the big picture. A paperback book has only been around for 85 years. That's crazy that it's only been around that long. Up until then, it's all been like, you know, bindings and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was all hardbound leather books or, or or hardbound books. So yeah, amazing, just an astonishing uh, revolution in publishing. Not quite on par with the the Gutenberg printing press, but darn close as far as accessibility goes. Yep, and now uh, now it's all on Kindles and uh, like I have a Kindle app on my phone, so that goes right in my back pocket too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Kindles are neat. You know, I, I sell some of my stuff through the Kindle store and I publish my own books in in softback. So so let's move all on right. to the thirty. 30- First, July 31st, 1777, Marquis de Lafayette, at the age of 19, is promoted to major general in what would soon become the United States of America. Major general of the Continental Army at 19 years old. 19, Bill. I have a son that's 19 years old, and I can't get him to load the dishwasher (laughs) properly. Can you? (laughs) I mean, what what were you doing when you were 19? Be honest now. Um... Yeah, trying to start a band. Trying to start a band. You know what I was doing? I was masturbating furiously. <laughs> no, um. <laughs> you know what I'm doing later today? I'm gonna try to start a band. Wink, wink. This podcast is over. I mean, I was like trying to make enough money to have gas for my car. Right. And here's a guy who comes to the United States, well, to the colonies from France, volunteers with the Continental Army, gets promoted to be major general, and soldiers in rebellion against the British at the time, the strongest army in the yeah, world. Yeah, well, here's the thing, though. Astonishing. Yeah, here's the thing. Was he astonishing? Because I'm getting two pictures here, okay? 
19 years old Joan of Arc, right? And uh, also Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein when she was 19 years old. So here's this guy, uh, Marquis... Marquis de Lafayette. Lafayette. Is he a general, like, badass? Or is this like Jaja Binks from episode one? We shall make you bombard general. <laughs> nah, he, he was pretty much a, a oh, badass. All right, so let me let me jump in and interrupt because there's there's one other fun one that we should talk about, like the the first real incidents of somebody getting in trouble for okay. trolling. Uh, Analog-style trolling. So there's a guy named Daniel Defoe. He's a, he's a writer, and he sort of helped sort of invent journalism. He invented the novel. He wrote the first novel. And in 1703, he was placed, he was fined and jailed and then placed in the pillory for <laughs> for sedition and libel because he wrote a pamphlet talking about what a shithead and an asshole his neighbor was. And his neighbor sued him and won. <laughs> so the, <laughs> when you've got to go through the trouble of writing, editing, finding a printing press, and distributing a pamphlet that says that your neighbor's a dickhead, and <laughs> and then you get caught and you're like, you know what? Yeah, it was me. You end up you end up in the in the stocks. So I thought that was f- the some first funny stuff. flame war. <laughs> the first flame war. Yeah, that's hilarious. That was a, what July thirty first. What year? Seventeen oh three. Ah, Went all the way back to the 03s. <laughs> nice. All right. So what do you have for the August first? August first. The day uh, that will live in day infamy. that will live in infamy. Uh, depending on who you talk to, it's either the day that music became a thing or the day that music died. MTV was at one time music television began its broadcasting. And the first video that they played, again, they ushered in the the age of the visual component to music videos. The first video they played was Video Killed the Radio Star by one-hit wonder band The Buggles. Yep. And the second video that they showed was Pat Benatar. Pat Benatar. You better run. Yeah, you better run. You know what's funny about The Buggles? Everybody, you look at them and there's just, it's almost like a joke band. Trevor Horn, the bass player and singer from the Buggles, is like a musical genius and so is Hugh Downs. They're, right. they're both really prolific. So MTV, again, was it was amazing because it brought that visual component into the homes of everybody so that, and they kind of controlled what people could see as far as music. It drove record sales through the roof for the bands that were featured there and became a humongous part of each band's platform. And it, it the same way that like VHS technology made home video recording and movie ownership a thing, MTV made that sort of music video an important component of every rock and roll star's sort of toolkit it undid some rock and roll stars toolkits too so people who are not quite as photogenic like christopher cross yeah notoriously christopher cross like dropped like dropped right off the charts because yep. he didn't produce videos it could make or break you down the road a guy like billy squire who's a fantastic guitar player great musician yep. put out the worst rock and roll video in the history of rock and roll videos and it just, just and it just like, kamikaze his career yep. so uh, super super important and interesting day and it sort of changed the whole media landscape and the idea of entertainment from and sort of helped to define the 1980s and and years beyond. It was one of those weird watershed entertainment moments that can't be understated in its importance. Uh, A couple of uh, interesting trivias about MTV. Do you know who invented MTV? Invented MTV, no. Michael Nesmith of the Monkees. He came up with the idea of a network showing nothing but music videos. Oh, really? Oh, I did not know that. I I did not know that. And he uh, presented the idea to somebody and they were like, no, 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 no. So he presented the idea to somebody else. Then MTV, I mean, in the 80s, I mean, MTV is kind of like an afterthought now. 
Right. You know, the M basically stands for miscellaneous, I guess. But in the 80s, MTV was a juggernaut. Yeah. I mean, they controlled the music industry. They definitely did. They were the platform to be on. Right. So MTV was a humongous uh, environmental shift in the whole ecosystem of entertainment. And then it didn't take long before the music videos went from, you know, just kind of like showing the face and like some sort of mock live performance to like really like art pieces. Like, right. like the Duran Duran videos. <laughs> like the Wild Boys one, which is like, did I eat? What kind of mushrooms were My those? My God, the, he almost died making that video, <laughs> like because he was like uh, he was like Jesus posed on this windmill that yeah. went like under the water, and at one point yeah, it yeah. stuck, and his head was like under the water. He almost died making that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah. the, the colors and all that stuff. Most of those videos were de- uh, directed him, the, the Duran Duran ones. I mean, uh, they were directed by a guy named Russell Mulcahy. And that's how influential and important MTV was that I still remember who directed a Duran Duran video from that era. It was that important to have a music video on MTV. More recently, like like last month, I was watching the latest season of 13 Reasons Why. And each episode is directed by somebody different. And I think it was episode two was actually directed by Russell Mulcahy. Yeah. Oh, wow. So yeah, he's still uh, he's still working. Was he was he spinning a depressed teenager on a thing and then holding his head underwater? No, but I was really waiting for Clay to flip over a table in slow motion. <laughs> a, a horse to come running in slow motion out of the fog. <laughs> the other, some of the other, the other uh, stereotypical like open window with curtains blinding blowing. white light. Uh, Blinding white light. <laughs> so yeah, and MTV also at that time they were they showed music videos twenty four hours a day, and they really only had enough videos to fill up maybe like six hours. So there was a yep. lot of repeats. They would show all music videos except for Saturday nights they would have a concert, and then Sunday nights they would have like a special, like a documentary kind of a of, of a thing. And I remember just being like eleven years old and just trying my damnedest to stay up until freaking midnight on saturday so i could watch the adam and the ants concert uh the the prince charming review with my with my little tape recorder pressed up against a tv speaker so i could like i could record it and listen to it later i did the same thing to try and capture blue oyster cult and my dad desperately tried to remind me that you can't record that way and i'm like no dad I, there's a recorder on this tape deck that i have i can yeah. do it and he, he let me do it and i ended up with a 45 minutes of tape yes yeah. it doesn't but sound good at all rem- remember where mtv started to change right it's like what, i don't remember what you use it was it must have been 86 87 when it then, then on sunday night at midnight instead of showing a documentary they started to show the young ones uh that would be about 85 was that 85 yeah. okay that'd be 85 i remember seeing the young ones like i see the commercial and it seemed like it was going to be funny so i set up the vcr to record it and then i watched it like the next morning and then just it was so hilarious i i showed my friends i was like you have to see this you have to see this show it is so unhinged there's nothing it's like nothing you've ever seen before I, yeah, my, my dad hated that show so much because he didn't understand mm-hmm. the humor. And he used to complain that he thought it would hurt the VCR if we recorded it. <laughs> <laughs> he banned us from being able to tape it, which we did anyway, but because we knew better. But yeah, it was. He I have them all on DVD and I, I still go back and watch them all the time. They are still funny. Yes. All right. So moving on to August the 2nd, yeah. we are going to have a it's a bit of a weird holiday. It is. And oh, I love this holiday. It is Ice cream sandwich day. Oh, oh my God. I love ice cream sandwiches so much. Is it ice cream sandwich or is it ice cream sandwich? (laughs) 
Sandwich! Yes, pretty much. Ice cream sandwich! I don't mess around. Like, I, I buy, you know, you buy like a dozen of them, and I eat them like four at a time. It's just, ah! I'm sure your pancreas is thanking you oh, for yeah. that every time you do it. I was out in Ohio for one of my horror conventions, and my friend Marissa had come along at that point. And the uh, the the ceiling tiles were kind of textured, you know. And she yeah. was she's looking at the ceiling tile, and she says, "It kind of looks like the middle of an ice cream sandwich." I was like, "Oh, so it looks like ice cream? Is that what you're saying?" <laughs> Freaking love that. So I still tease her about that. Ice cream sandwich day is good. Piggyback on that one in 1975. Yep. In our hometown of New Bedford, Massachusetts, we set a state record for temperature at 107 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, good thing you had your ice cream sandwich, right? Geez, you'd want you'd want, you'd want more than four of them. You'd want to make ice cream sandwich suit. There's, yeah, well, there's no way you could eat four ice cream sandwiches at that temperature. You just like <laughs> this pile of goo with a cracker on top yeah, of it. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, you just put them all in a bowl and wait five minutes. <laughs> 107 degrees. 107 degrees. I can't even. Yeah. I, I mean. I've been in temperatures that are that hot before, but I, I, I and I can't I can't remember. Well, here's the thing: I, it must have been madness. Yeah, I mean, 1975. We didn't have an air conditioner in our house. We didn't we didn't even have a fan. Oh my god! It, we, didn't, we didn't even have windows. We lived in a box. I now. I bought my first air conditioner, so I was an adult. My mother never had an air conditioner in this house, right. and then whenever I moved back into this house when she passed away, putting the air conditioner in, I'm like, how the hell did you survive, you old crazy woman? It's right. so hot in here without an air conditioner. You nuts. Now, I have been out, you know, to the like Nevada on the first day of summer before. Yep. And Same. and it's crazy. It's like 110, 100, you know, whatever degrees like yep. that. But as they say, it's a dry heat, which is fine if you stay hydrated. Over here, for those of you that are not from this area that are listening, we are right on the water. New Bedford, Massachusetts is a fishing town. We are directly on the water. It is always humid. We don't have dry days. We have less humid days, but it's always, always super humid. So 100 and, what'd you say, 105, 107 degrees with like probably around 80% humidity. People must have just been like exploding like ticks. Yeah, it must have been, it must have been crazy. (laughs) Uh, I can, I can imagine all of like East and West Beach just being stacked with people. Uh. Um, Oh, it must have been madness. So. 107 degrees. Whew. Oh, it makes me hot just thinking about it. All right, so moving on, we're going to do the celebrity birthdays. All right, yeah. so July 27th, 1969, a man by the name of Paul Levesque, who everybody else would know by his professional wrestling name, Triple H, uh, was born. Yep, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Yes, from uh, born in here, right up near me, where I am here in uh, near near me in Nashua, yep. New Hampshire. His wrestling matches, I've never really been a huge fan of. His promos, yeah, he's he's always been really really good on the mic. God love him for what he's doing with NXT. NXT is probably the best product that WWE puts out. More people should watch it. Do it now. What he's what he's doing with the younger talent is amazing. July twenty eighth, nineteen forty five. Uh, Jim Davis, the cartoonist responsible for Garfield. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And and U.S. Acres, although that one didn't run in the papers that I used to get here in the in the East Coast, but I have I remember the U.S. Acres cartoon, which was pretty oh, funny. I was unaware of it. Yeah, I'm we talked close. about this a few weeks ago. Actually, we would uh, uh, Jezebel and I were talking about how Garfield. If you go back and read it now from an, as an adult, you're like, oh, what was I laughing at? It's it, it was right. a, it was a different time. You know, that said, there's a, a web comic that you can read now called Garfield minus Garfield, where a guy just takes Garfield and the other characters out. And it's just John Arbuckle Talking to himself. and John Arbuckle, just John Arbuckle and John Arbuckle's lines. And they are 
awesomely funny <laughs> and super duper dark. And when they started to come out, like the guy that was doing them, uh, figured he would get sued by King Features, and he kind of. He did, but I don't know if it was that was the syndication company that did. And then Jim Davis intervened and gave permission for him to keep doing these oh, cartoons amazing. with the Garfield strips and taking the Garfield out because they were so freaking this funny. Man just descending into insanity. Into <laughs> <laughs> madness. It's such, they're such funny cartoons. All right, moving on to the 29th, 1953, Getty Lee from Rush. Getty now, a uh, fun a bit about him. Getty is not really a name, is it? You never heard anybody else named Getty. Right. His name isn't Getty. His name is Gary, right? Oh. His his uh his family's Jewish and his grandmother had this very, very thick Yiddish accent. So when oh. she was saying Gary, it would sound like she said Getty. Kind of like she Getty. Getty. Oh, okay, I get it. So that's how his name became Getty Lee. All right, next. July thirtieth. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold. Australian American bodybuilder <laughs> and former governor of California. California. I have uh, I have in my notes written down, that's how I have it spelt out. It says Arnold. <laughs> Interesting guy. I always liked his movies. He's he's big back into like promoting fitness now and still stays active. He still looks like he could he could squash me between his two hands like an accordion. So what what's fun about Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, all politics aside, you know, he is hilariously self aware. He's well aware of how ridiculous he is. And that's that's ad- that's admirable. All right, so moving on to the 31st, 1956, Mike Bain, who was Arnold Schwarzenegger's opposite in the first Terminator movie. That's right. He was uh, Reese, John Connor's father, John Connor's mother's savior, and ultimately a man sent back by John Connor. Yeah, John Connor's best friend sent back in time. To impregnate Sarah Connors, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of paradox stuff going <laughs> over there. I I need uh, you to go back in time and f- my mom. I'm sure he didn't say she didn't sell it that way. He probably was like, "Hey, this girl's pretty good looking." I'm sorry, I think I misheard you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, August first, 1819. My favorite author. Again, a callback to our hometown here. Uh, made made our hometown even more famous. Herman yep. Melville. Uh, author of several books, including uh, the book that destroyed his career, Moby Dick, uh, also the greatest book ever written, and uh, the other books, Umu, Tai P, and Billy Now, when Budd. you say it destroyed his career, do you mean that in the same way that Star Wars destroyed science fiction? No, I mean, literally, it, the book the book destroyed his career. He didn't write after that, or he wrote Billy Budd, and that was it. He went he went and became a patent clerk and stopped oh, wow. writing. It was a, it, His book was a humongous flop oh, when no it came kidding. out. And it did. It did not become popular until the 1920s. Oh wow! Yeah, after he was dead. So. Oh jeez. So moving on to August the second, another amazing, great American author, better known for one thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm buffing, puffing this guy up too much. Uh, 1970. <laughs> it's uh, Kevin Smith. Uh, it's his birthday, and Kevin Smith, best known for the Jay and Silent Bob movies. Um, oddly enough, though. He's made movies that aren't comedies and aren't like in that style that you're used to. Like there's one movie he did called Red State, which is something else. Let me tell you. Yeah, satire. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's a very dark, dark, dark comedy satire. Like to the point where it's not, you're not even sure if what you're watching is comedy. And that did not do well. But I I actually really like that movie. But. The thing is, is like Kevin Smith is so known for his, you know, kind of stoner comedy that whenever he tries to deviate from it, it never does well, even though that's, you know, really the superior stuff. 
Yeah, even though he has to end up putting the stoner comedy stuff into something that it, it doesn't need to be in, like in Dogma, for example. Right. I don't think the film would have been better had Jay and Silent Bob been taken out of it, but it wouldn't have hurt it either. I think that the story it was strong enough that they could have not been involved in it, and it still would have been a very good film. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I don't love his movies, but I, I like that one quite a bit. Mm-hmm. With the departure of Jezebel, we are also losing Jezebel's dirt bag, but we are replacing it with a new segment. The worst song ever. All right, so what's our what's our worst song ever this week? We go all the way back to 1968, uh, coming out of the Summer of Love from 1967 to, I don't know how this song ended up inflicted on the public, but it was number one, and it was Zager and Evans in the year 2525. Let me just say for the record, there are not enough songs about dystopian science fiction. <laughs> And one of the reasons there aren't very many is because they all stink. This is the origin of those stinky, stinky songs. Yeah, that that was the thing. Like every generation has its own kind of like you know style of song, and that that right there kind of carried over into the seventies too, where the song like tells a story, mm-hmm. you know. And don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of concept albums, songs that like have this like little story to them, like the the night like, the lights all went out in uh, Georgia or whatever that is, and stuff like that. And this song, yeah, not my not my bag of dope. It definitely helps if the song doesn't stink. And yeah, let's uh, let's play a, a small clip of it. Let's do that, yep. and we apologize in advance. In the- Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel dumb already for having listened to that. Right in the year. So the, the song starts off in the year twenty five twenty five, and then progresses to the year thirty five thirty five, and then forty five forty five, and goes on from there, describing how the world is just keeps getting worse and worse. You know, the, you know, technology destroying everything and all that. And I think these guys just didn't have enough foresight because they, they could have like started off with the year twenty twenty, <laughs> right? And they they would only need one verse. In the year 2020, who would have guessed that murder wanted to be the least of our worries? <laughs> right, right. Well, it's, it's funny, like, as far as, like, science fiction space songs, so there's this one, there's a couple more, I guess, in the 60s that are novelty songs, but there's this one, which was clearly not meant as a novelty song when right. it came out. In the 70s, we've got what I think is the most ridiculous of all science fiction songs. Martian um, Hop? No. No, because that song, that song slaps, as the kids say. That slaps. Have you no, ever heard Martian uh, Hop? I've never heard Martian Hop. And, and that specifically makes me think that it is a novelty song. Oh, here it is. It's called here Martian it is. Hop. Here it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> it is, um, is Come Sail Away by Styx. Oh. Which throws in the science fiction at the very end of this convoluted story about wanting to be on a boat, and it turns out it's not a boat; it's a spaceship. Yeah, and it's that's terrible. That's a baby in the bathwater ending right there, with like, and as if the rest of the people in Sticks didn't realize that Dennis DeYoung was Dennis DeYoung. It's like, oh, and now this song is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, 
And then in the 1980s, we had the tie-in with E.T., Neil Diamond's Heartlight. Oh, my God. song that has been scientifically proven to cause cancer in animals. <laughs> uh, it is so bad. Whenever people, like, go on about Neil Diamond being, you know, a genius and this, that, and the other, that's something I always throw at them. I'm like, dude, he wrote a song about E.T. <laughs> well, here's the, here's the thing. Like, like him and Jim Ignatowski was... from Taxi were just so inspired. <laughs> if I was Neil Diamond in 1980, 80, 84? Was that 84, 85 that E.T. came oh, out? Oh, no, much earlier. Was it really? 82. Okay. 82, wow. So Neil Diamond was like, yeah, how much do you want to pay me for this? Mm-hmm. All right, I'm in. You know, he wasn't getting any airplay on MTV. He's just sitting there with his with the sunglasses, with the dollar signs on him, like fabulous moolah. Speaking of people who are not photogenic, would not have survived in the age of video. Like Neil Diamond was one of those guys. He's a songwriter. He, you know, when you see him, he looks like he's he looks like a like a, a sort of short hirsute guy who spends a lot of time with accounting actuarial tables and not writing songs like songs that I love, like some of the monkeys first. Yep, he wrote "I'm a Believer." Yeah, I'm a believer and stuff. There you go. Heartlight. I would love to go on like talking more about our friends uh, Zigar and Evans, but they were one-hit wonders. Like this song, twenty-five, twenty-five. That song went all the way to number one. Are you people insane? <laughs> it was nineteen sixty-eight, yeah. man. There was a lot of a lot of insanity in sixty-eight. Yeah, you know. Just, oh well. But anyway, that's gonna that's gonna wrap up the show. Yes. Uh, we will see you guys next week. Have a great week, everybody. All right. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Catch later, you later, Bill. Bye, everybody. Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook and Instagram at Twibly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. They probably need a cool podcast to listen to as well. And if you don't like this week's episode, there'll be one next week and it'll probably be better. <laughs>